good to see everyone this morning. We have several visitors with us, and we are delighted to have you uh, with us on this beautiful Lord's Day. We pray that you'll be treated in the finest of ways, and everything that you see done and everything that you hear uh, here today in this worship service, we hope and pray you will find it to be in harmony with God's holy and divine will, because that is truly uh, our goal is to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent, to do Bible things the Bible way and call Bible things by Bible names. And so as long as we practice that, we will certainly be pleasing in God's sight, and I hope that we'll all strive together to be what God would have us to be. This morning's message is simply titled, When Your Children Ask Their Fathers. When Your Children Ask Their Fathers. That comes from a passage of scripture in Joshua chapter 4, verse 6. In Joshua 4, 6, the Bible says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? What mean ye by these stones? There is a cemetery right across from my house. And in that cemetery, there are many graves. And to my knowledge, all of the graves, to the best of my knowledge, are marked by headstones. And those stones are there for those that are deceased, uh, in memory of those that are deceased, for those that will come to visit the family and friends that will pass by there from time to time. And those stones usually consist of, of course, the person's name that is deceased. But also on there you will find the date of one's birth and the date of one's death. And in addition to that, many times there will be some meaningful quotes and perhaps some favorite memory verses will be on those headstones. Sometimes people take their children to old family cemeteries or to a cemetery where most of the family has been buried in a certain area and they will begin to point out those headstones and they'll talk about great-grandmother so-and-so and, and Paul-Paul this and, and on and on and they'll discuss as they remember and reflect back upon things that they remember about their loved ones and friends that are deceased. It's, it's something to be a reminder, kind of a memorial, something to help one to remember and not forget those that have gone on. Well, as you know, Monday is Memorial Day. It's a day of remembrance for those who many have given their all to serve this great nation in one branch of office or another, one way or another. Many people will be remembering those that served in the Vietnam War on Monday, as well as all the other different wars, but, but the Vietnam War has certain things that have been built and placed in certain places uh, as reminders of those who have fought and given their lives and sacrificed uh, for the freedoms that we have today. Tomorrow there will be some that will visit the wall where the names of 
58,235 soldiers who served in the Vietnam War, who died in that war, or who are missing in war, their names are carved on that wall. You'll see it on the news most likely, it'll be reported, and you'll see those beautiful walls, and you'll see just rows and rows and rows of names of those that have sacrificed. We don't want them to be forgotten because of the price that they paid. Others will visit the Vietnam Women's Memorial, which commemorates the 256,000 women that served in the Vietnam War, many of whom worked as nurses. And then others will visit the monument called the Three Servicemen, in memory of all the 2.7 million men and women who served in the designated war zone, both those that died and those who made it back alive. We are very familiar with memorials and, and stones and monuments and days that have been placed where they are for us to be able to remember those of yesteryear, those in the past that have, have served and, and given their sacrifices. May we all honor those that, that sacrificed in all the wars of our great nation tomorrow. And may we not just remember them tomorrow, but may, may we never forget them. Many of us, no doubt, have lost some family member, close friends, in and, and one war or another, and they need to be remembered and not forgotten. In the Old Testament time, God set up memorials. He set up things so that people later would not forget the great things that he did for his people in the past. To be reminders. For example, in Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, where our title came and our text for this message, my first point will be when your children ask their fathers. Point number one. When your children ask their fathers, what mean ye by these stones? You know, I have two of my grandchildren with me this week. I'm blessed to have them to keep me company, keep me busy and on my toes. And, and I had somewhat forgotten how inquisitive their minds are. And I've had them for less than three days, I believe, if my count is right. And I believe I have answered hundreds of questions. Every time their little eyes see something, Papa, what about this? Papa, what is that? Papa, Papa, Papa. And sometimes I just say, just hold on and watch for a minute. Papa, what are you doing? Just watch. What are you going to do with that? Just watch. They see, they want to learn, they want to know. That's a very good thing. Well, so it was in the long ago. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, the Bible said, And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? 
and ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. And the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So he's talking about the time when the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. And when their feet touched that water, the water parted, just like the Red Sea. And they went across on dry ground. And God said for them to take 12 stones and place them there. So that later when his people would pass by, the children would see those 12 stones and they would ask their fathers, what does this mean? They were inquisitive. They wanted to know. And then the fathers would take the time to tell them how that God had provided for them and how he had parted that river so that they could walk across on dry ground. Another example is found in Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 through 16, where the sons ask, what is this? What is this? In verse 12, the Bible says, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and the firstlings that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The male shall be the Lord's, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of men among the children shall thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son askest thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord showed all the first, slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of the hand of the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And so after the God had killed the firstborn of, of all the Egyptians, both beast and man, God did not want his people to forget that mighty work that took place when the tenth plague came upon the Egyptians. And so from that time forward, he was given the firstborn uh, of all the males of the flock. And of course, the firstborn child was to be redeemed. And so as they would continue to practice that, giving the Lord the firstborn, the sons of later generations would ask the question, what is this? Why are we doing this? What does this mean? And that's when the fathers would have that opportunity again to teach them about how God freed them from Egyptian slavery and how he killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians and all the beasts that the Egyptians had. A memorial, a reminder. And then another time, if you back up to chapter 12 in Exodus, verse 14, you have the, the Passover. 
and the feast. Beginning with verse 14, the Bible says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And so they will continue to keep the Passover feast. Exodus 12, verse 14. Then we'll drop down to verse 24. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever, and it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he has promised, that ye shall keep this service, keep this feast, keep that service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say it, uh, the Ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And so as time would go on and they would continue to partake of that feast of the Passover and then the children would ask, why are we doing this? What is this, what is this all about? What does this mean? And then they would teach their children about the time when God had commanded the children of Israel to put the blood on the doorposts and their lentils, and that uh, when he saw that, he would pass over and he would spare the lives of all the firstborn. And so God has put things in place over the years that would cause children to ask questions about, what does this mean? What does that mean? And then they would be taught things that God did not want and does not want man to forget. My second point is this. When your children ask their fathers, what mean ye by this service? Meaning the Lord's Supper. The Lord has instituted a memorial. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we notice that Paul brings this as a, a reminder to them. He, he teaches them on this occasion again. When our children observe us partaking of the Lord's Supper, and, and you know that these young ones, these little ones, uh, many of them cannot wait till the day that they get old enough where they can partake of the bread and drink of the juice. They may not understand what that is all about, uh, but they can't wait till that time. But as they see that, eventually the question will come. What means this service? What does this mean? What is, what is this all about? Why? I mean, you, you put yourselves in a child's body with a child's mind, and you see this going on. I'm glad that here at Fairhope we explain it over and over again every Lord's Day so most of our children grow up knowing exactly what it is all about. But... Uh, a lot of people may not, and they may ask the question, what is this? What, why do you partake of this little piece of bread, and why do you drink of this grape juice that's in this small cup? What meaneth this service? Well, you'll notice Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, that his knowledge came from the Lord. He said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And so he received it through revelation. The Lord instituted or set up this memorial. It's not something that man did. The Lord did. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, 
Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. That takes you back to Matthew 26, the passage that Chance read just a few minutes ago, where the Lord actually instituted the supper in memory of himself. In Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28, the Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and brake it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so Paul is telling what he has been what has been revealed to him about the Lord having instituted the supper uh, so that man would not forget what he did for mankind. The bread and the fruit of the vine represents the body and the blood of Jesus. It's very clearly taught in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24 and 25. Paul said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. It represents the body of Christ. This do you in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so the bread represents the body of Christ that was nailed upon the cross of Calvary. The fruit of the vine represents the blood that was shed for the sins of the world. These emblems are to be taken in memory of Jesus. Just as those stones were placed there uh, at the river of Jordan to be a reminder, to remind people of God taking care of them and parting the, the Jordan River, and as the firstborn of all was to be given to the Lord, uh, as a reminder of him sparing the firstborn of Israel and killing all the uh, firstborn of Egypt. So it is the Lord's Supper was instituted for a purpose. It's a reminder. And we are to reflect back upon the, what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. This supper memorializes and preaches his death. Not so much his life and not so much really his burial, when we talk about baptism, that's a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But the Lord's Supper is more honed in on his actual death, uh, his, the dying process, his being nailed to the cross of Calvary. You'll notice Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. That's what's being proclaimed. As we partake of the fruit of the vine, as we partake of the bread, we are teaching, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. This memorial is to be kept until the Lord's return. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come, or till he returns and we meet him in the air. So it's a memorial that is to continue until the end of time. Children, generation after generation, should grow up seeing us partake of the Lord's Supper the way that we do, 
and perhaps they'll ask the question, what means this service? And we ought to teach them, even without them asking for that matter, all that partake of this memorial unworthily will be guilty of sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. In other words, not examining yourself to see whether or not you are worthy, but to examine yourself to make sure you're partaking of it in a worthily manner. In other words, when we partook of the Lord's Supper just a little while ago, our mind should have been focused on the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Our mind should not have been anywhere else. When your mind begins to waver, you must bring it back. I'm so thankful that Chris and others that uh, help serve on the table will read Scripture. We have a song as a general rule that has to do with the death of Christ, and then we have one read Scripture that has to do with the death of Christ, and then we have prayer, and then we partake of the Lord's Supper, striving to the best of our abilities to keep our minds focused on the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is punishment for all those that partake unworthily, for all those that do otherwise, for those that uh, do not take a, partake of it seriously with their minds focused on the true meaning of it. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, Paul said, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so we have to stay focused. We, it's uh, something we purpose to do. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we focus on the greatest event in the history of mankind. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. This is where our minds need to be. As we look upon the bread, and the grape juice, and as we partake thereof. Matthew 27, verse 26. The Bible reads, Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophet, 
they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and sat, set up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, la sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Jesus was bound and delivered to Pilate without a cause. He was scourged, he was beaten. His flesh was ripped from his bones. He was stripped of his own clothing, and a scarlet robe was placed upon him in mockery. They placed a reed in his hand. They mocked him. They spit in his face. They plucked the beard from his face. They smote his head with that reed. They led him away to be crucified. He had to carry his own cross as far as he could bear it. He was then crucified. They parted his garments. They reviled him. And then Jesus gave up the ghost. That's one event, my friend, we don't ever want to forget. We think about all the others who have given their lives for different causes, but none even comes close to compare with what Jesus did on Calvary's Hill on that day. No doubt Monday there will be a lot of tears that will be shed as people will be before different memorials at different places and different monuments and different stones weeping over those that have given their lives. It's a serious thing indeed. But how many tears do we shed when we assemble around the Lord's table to think about what our Lord and Savior did for us. We have a day that has been set aside as a memorial day. But instead of coming once a year, it comes once a week. That's how serious it is to God that we remember what Christ did for us. 
In Acts 20, verse 7, the Bible says, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, that is the Lord's Supper, to partake of that memorial, to remember what Jesus did. They did it on the first day of every week. In Revelation 1.10, the Bible says, And I, John speaking or writing, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Every week has a Lord's day. And on every Lord's day, God's people are to partake of the Lord's Supper in memory of Him. It is something that is to continue until the Lord comes again. In Acts 2, verse 47, the Bible says, And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Those disciples continue to partake of the Lord's Supper as we do this day. And may we continue to do it. And when our children ask us, what does this service mean? May we be able to take our Bibles and open to passages like Matthew uh, 26, 27, and 1 Corinthians 11 and read the, these passages to them and teach them exactly what's going on when we come together on the first day of the week. May we all honor those that died in service those that have served, those that are serving this great nation, may we honor all of them tomorrow. But more importantly, let us remember the death of Jesus on every Lord's day as we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine. May we teach our children what the Lord's Supper memorializes and teach them how important it is that they teach their children and that their children teach their children if time continues so that we will never forget the price that was paid by Jesus Christ that day that we might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. Jesus gave his all. The question for us this morning is what have we given him? In Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26, the Bible says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, Jesus gave his life for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We could have died for ourselves, but that would not have saved us from our sins. Because Romans 3.23 teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it had to be one who was perfect, flawless, without sin, that would give his life upon the cross, that would die or be sacrificed for our wrongdoings. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. But the least we could do for him is what he has asked us to do. And that's to follow him, which means denying ourselves and take up our crosses. That means we're going to suffer a little bit, but that's okay. Look how he suffered for us, every one of us. And then Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall find it, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Jesus died that you might have a home in heaven after a while. But in order to have that home, we must give to him ourselves. If you haven't done that, as we have reflected back upon what Jesus did for us, hopefully that will motivate you to have a desire within your heart to give to Jesus all that you have, to surrender all to him by believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 3, 16. By repenting of all your sins, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And then confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, verse 37. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. So you can be added to the church, Acts 2, 47. And be a part of God's family, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And then be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, knowing that your labor will not be in vain. What will you say when your children and your grandchildren ask you, what do these services mean? You're here and we can assist you in any way. Won't you come? As together we stand and sing. <laughs>